On this week's episode, we're joined by CIA insider John Keyes. This is our dark beta moment where everything is as dark because we have our CIA operative on the line. You cannot see him because we must protect his identity. And he joins us to talk about the Taliban in Afghanistan. You will know him as Mr. Uh, Keys. Mr. Keys, welcome back to the broadcast. Thank you, Armstrong. I appreciate the opportunity. Talk to us. Take us through um, the mistakes that this administration has made, the past four administrations, um, and why do we find ourselves in the situation we're in today, and just what the, it, will the Taliban do when they begin to govern, which seems to have already started. And we remember what the Chinese embassy said in, um, in Kabul, that the Taliban had a better transition to power than Biden did on January 20th when he was sworn in. So it tells you clearly where the Chinese are and maybe the Russians. Uh, Mr. Keyes, go ahead. Yeah, what we're seeing now is the culmination of really 20 years of, of an unfocused and disorganized policy that has moved from side to side on different objectives as we move along over the the arc of the last 20 years. And in the in the last six months where the situation was clearly deteriorating, but you've got a major communications disconnect between what the White House thinks they're hearing, what the Pentagon is saying, what the intelligence community is saying. It's hard to say who's listening to who, but clearly the message isn't getting through. It wasn't wrong to pull out, I don't think, pull down especially and just pull out and leave other components there, but it was immoral to do it this poorly and this disorganized and to continue with it the way it is now. We are bleeding in the open view of the entire world. This looks awful. The optics are impossible to manage. And there is, I don't see any end in sight because we are not making the changes that need to be made. We've we don't have the right people on the ground. We don't have the right leadership in charge. We don't have anything. We're just stumbling along. I, I've been on the phone and been up since 4.30 this morning talking to my guys that are in Afghanistan and in Kabul. The messaging that I get from the official side of the U.S. government doesn't match what I get from the guys on the ground in Kabul. They say Americans can get on the airfield. You send an American passport holder to the gate and they can't get in. And the U.S. won't come out of, U.S. soldiers won't come out of the airfield to help Afghanis get through the Taliban cordon that is surrounding the outside of the airport. And there isn't any way to get in touch with anyone that's on the ground. You can't talk to an adult that's in charge of anything when you're trying to get accurate information to direct Americans who are asking what do I do? How do I get in? What, how do I get on a plane? It's just a, a wreck, and it still isn't working right. This hemorrhage is extremely damaging to the national security policy of the United States, and it must be fixed immediately. You cannot do this on the international scene. China and Russia and other countries are chiming in. Now there's a, a whole different the the, Talib, the uh, Afghan government is relocated to the Panjir and today published a, a, 
editorial in the Washington Post asking for help. They've got a lot of the army. When Biden insulted every Afghan soldier, he doesn't understand they've lost somewhere around 55,000 of their soldiers fighting over the last 20 years. He said they won't fight. They're fighting. They're fighting in different areas. But it's not on TV because the Taliban has control of the narrative from Kabul. And we're all inside the airport, which is a very difficult airport to secure. It's in a bowl, and it's surrounded by a lot of people. There's millions of people in that metro area in Kabul. So the air power that has always been our greatest asset is not really usable in an urban environment where everyone is mixed in together. You can't shoot at people when the Taliban is so close to you. They're on top of you. They've been trying to get control of them of countering our air for 20 years. Now they've done it. And they're inside our perimeter, or right at our perimeter on the edge of the airport. It's, I've never seen anything like this, never. This, this, is, this is a new one for me. So let me, let me ask you to talk about the fact of Americans, not only in Afghanistan, but around the world. We've seen it in Vietnam, we've seen it with the Kurds, we've seen it with the Iranians. Talk about uh, America's ignorance of other cultures and how this plays into the fiasco that we're seeing now. Women, children being beheaded. Uh, many of us have privately seen the video where hundreds of people are lined up and people are in a square just sitting in some kind of solitude as they watch someone just with a knife and just butcher their neck off. And they don't celebrate women's rights. They're burning down schools. Um, they're looking for women and judges who, are, who have achieved um, great status in Afghanistan over the last 20 years, and they're hunting them down like animals and killed them. And then another thing that we don't talk about enough is just that a lot of these are kids. Many of us saw the video with them in the gym, working the machine, and you can almost sense their lack of education, their lack of intelligence, and many of them are isolated, and this is the way they've been trained all their lives, sort of like barbarians, people without feelings. But talk about that culture, and also the educational level and the, and the age group of those that make up the Taliban. That's a great point, Armstrong, because when you, you look at the kids today, all these children that you see on these videos that are coming out. Anybody who's 20 years of age or younger has no real memory of the Taliban. They grew up with the Americans in the country and the war going on. So now they're reaching a point where they're going to be introduced to the Taliban that they only had heard about from their parents. Now the Taliban is roaring back and the atrocious conduct that you see. This morning, I got a video from one of my colleagues there that showed one of the Afghan female pilots that we had trained along the way to fly was stoned to death on, on tape. Someone taped it on a phone and they stoned her to death this morning in Afghanistan while we're giving a press conference in the United States about everything's under control. They're not killing civilians. Americans can get to the gate. It just the narrative. It's just words. It's not anything that anyone can rely on. And the cultural problem we have, I've heard it explained best by a very senior guy once said, we've been in Afghanistan 20 years. We have one year of experience and we've repeated it 20 times. We do not understand the culture there. We don't understand the culture in Iraq. And we think we can impose Philadelphia at the Hindu Kush because 
you know, we just have the best system and these people must be stupid if they can't see that. It doesn't work that way. The world doesn't work that way. But with arrogance coupled to ignorance, we have a formula in place now for complete calamity. And that's where we are. We find ourselves right now. The Taliban is on offense. They have the initiative and they're building momentum. And we are huddled inside of a very difficult place to work from. And I, I just want to say this right up front. I'm not blaming any of the soldiers that are there. The soldiers and the, the, the officer corps that's at the ground level has fought valiantly for 20 years and sacrificed everything to support what we are trying to do. We have a leadership problem, a severe leadership crisis in the United States system, political and in the military. I watched the video of the CENTCOM commander coming out talking to his two-star. That was one of the big clips that came out yesterday. You have six stars there. I bet that really emboldened the 2,500 men that are there trying to defend the airport. Why, why do we have a four-star, at least one two-star, and I'm sure there are many others that are there in, in charge of a 2,500-man component? I think we had one brigadier general during the D-Day invasion that went ashore with the first wave. One guy. Now we they're everywhere. And it just doesn't help us. The imagery is horrendous. And that no one pays attention to that. Everybody in the world is watching what we're doing. And we are not distinguishing ourselves. We, as a nation, we are bleeding on the international scene. You know, um, finally, um uh, Mr. Keys, I was watching uh, Speaker Pelosi earlier, and she tried to spin the news of the military equipment left in the Taliban hands. She says, this is what happens when you leave. And you're talking about billions of dollars worth of equipment, aircraft. We also read where Biden shut off. They'll be able to take the billions of dollars that were placed in an account for them to finance the military, their jets. Uh, why would the American people lead them with such armament, such weapons that they could eventually not only use against that region, but eventually may use against the United States. That's another recklessly irresponsible decisions it's made. I'm sure it, a lot of it has to do with the, some cost estimate comes from the bean counters back here of the cost of moving something out of the region versus just leaving it behind. But it's worth noting that a lot of their equipment has been flown by their own pilots up into the Pangier, where they are marshalling a, a governmental structure to begin the resistance against the Taliban. We're back at square one in 2001. And these guys took their own equipment and went up there. Those that were stolen by other people that went out of the country, the Taliban has gotten a hold of two HETs, which is a heavy equipment trans transporting vehicle, and they're trucking U.S. armor equipment, which is something that has a tremendous resale value for, re for reverse engineering. They're trucking that stuff across the border into Pakistan. They're taking our equipment and, and selling it or sending it back to Pakistan, which I'm sure the Pakistanis are collecting American technology, and they give it to the Chinese or the Russians or both. But this stuff is just bleeding out of the country, I, and we don't appear to be either interested in it or willing to do anything. And having the speaker come on TV or, or make a press statement about 
this is the norm. It most certainly is not the norm. You don't give away millions of dollars of aircraft, just leave them behind. You look at what we did in Vietnam when you have a chaotic exit, and it's diff It's a different scenario when you're pushing 40-year-old helicopters off of a carrier deck into the ocean because you have no more room for everything than just giving 18 new Pilatus PC-12 aircraft to the enemy. That's that's just one thing that was left behind. There's there's a list of aviation assets that were left behind. And there's no excuse for that because they're all flyable. Move them somewhere else. I'm sure the Panchir would be happy to have more aircraft than they have right now. But it, it, this is the part I, as I began. It's, who is who is in charge of this? Where is the adult supervision on what we're what we should be doing to extricate our people, leave something behind that can be functional, and not let the country just disintegrate into a 12th century slaughterhouse? And we're just not delivering. The team that's in charge is not delivering. Well, listen, I cannot thank you enough, Mr. Operative, for um, bringing us this very. Uh, insightful and historic information. It's always a pleasure having you on. 